So there was a preacher who fell into the ocean, and he couldn't swim. When a boat came by, the captain yelled, Do you need help, sir? The preacher calmly said, No, no, God will save me. A little while later, a boat came by, and a fisherman asked, Hey, do you need help? The preacher replied again, No, God will save me. Well, of course, eventually, the preacher drowned and went to heaven, and the preacher asked God, Why didn't you save me, God? And God looked at him, raised an eyebrow. Dude, I sent you two boats. There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons. And then there are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. How's your faith these days, Father? so big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. You know, I can't do it. I can't read this gospel. I'm breaking my silence. See, I'm not a fan of this reading from John, but I have to say something about it. Because throughout history, we have trashed Judas Iscariot. From our villainization of him and over-theologizing him, we have created the anti-Semitic stereotypes prevalent in our me media. And I have a far deeper essay on the subject that I wrote for this sermon that I'll share on the link on my website, possibly, I hope, if I don't forget. And if I ever finish. But still, for today, I want to talk about the Gospels, their depictions, the history of Judas, and why John is so hard on his friend and brother. So first, let's talk about the damage that Mark did and why. Because Mark was Paul's secretary, and Barnabas was his mentor. These things together, and the turmoil of the young church, brought the events which shaped Mark the Gentile's Gospel to bear. Now, for all of his faults, John, uh, Paul, I should say, was possessed with a sense of equality that I admire. I have tons of issues for the guys, don't get me wrong, but his inclusiveness of the Gentiles is something I truly appreciate, and I think we can appreciate today more than ever. Yeah, he had his issues, but anyway, at some point, Paul took Titus to Jerusalem in hopes of convincing those there to accept the uncircumcised Gentiles as full members of the faith. They conceded that, and in return, Paul and his church would raise a collection to send back to Jerusalem to ease their financial struggles. Now, while he was coming back, there were some other things to deal with. First of all, Jerusalem sent emissaries out to his churches in Corinth, Galatia, and other places trying to convince them to dismiss Paul, claiming he was lesser than they were, because he never knew Jesus. Furthermore, Peter, he ran into some trouble elsewhere and ended up coming to Antioch. He ate with the Gentiles and Jews together at the church there. And then those representing Jerusalem showed up 
and told them that Jews had to eat separately to keep their ceremony of purity. Paul was so angry. You can read it in the Acts of the Apostles and in his letters around this time. And more so, his anger grew even more when Barnabas and Peter capitulated and separated themselves from the Gentiles as well. So it's in this environment that Mark, a Gentile, wrote his gospel. That narrative story of Jesus as he heard it from Barnabas and, I suspect, Peter as well. This is a narrative that he included his feelings towards the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, those apostles who decided they were too impure to eat with. So the apostles and the disciples couldn't understand the simplest of parables, and they were chastised repeatedly for being dunces. Fortunately, or I should say unfortunately, make sure that's clear, the Holy Family wasn't much better, were they? Nog, seeing the Gospel of Mark, instead of being supportive and loving, they tried to silence Jesus, telling people he was crazy and to ignore him, and did everything they could to silence him face to face. And in his own hometown of Nazareth, because he sought to open up the gates to more than just the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well, they tried to hashtag him. They tried to throw him off a cliff. So I guess in that context, as Judas is written in John, he'd fit right in. Even if he were corrupt, surrounded by the rest, he would not stick out until these last days and he fell under his sword. And even then, Mark wasn't nearly as destructive as John, because as we know, John clearly calls Judas a thief. <sighs> so that brings us now to it. Let's have a look at the history, what we could, what I could find about the writing of John's gospel. Maybe in that we can find a way to understand why he wrote Judas in the way he did. That epitome of negative stereotypes and racism attached to the Jewish people that we have in Western culture. A little bit of history about myself as we continue on. When I started studying the Gospels, there wasn't much I could find. I mean, I was a kid of 16. But the world opened up in my early 20s, and that's really when I got busy looking at this. I was trying to get ordained for the first time. Um, I wasn't trying very hard, though. I kind of quit early on. But that's at the point. What did happen, though, was the world opened up in my early 20s. It opened up because of the internet, and I was able to find a whole bunch more sources to learn. So, given that point, and given what a lot of scholars do these days, I'm going to suspend some disbelief. And we're going to stick with the traditionally held belief that all the Yohanan works, the Gospel of John, his three epistles, and the Book of Revelation were all written by John the Beloved. Since that's what I did with Mark, right? So let's look at John, the beloved disciple. His life, his life was pretty interesting in that we barely know anything. Other than John, James, the brother of Jesus, and Peter decided that Paul submitted his conversion and mission for recognition. It's very controversial where he stood when it came to the Gentiles joining the church. There's not any evidence to convey anything resolutely. Nothing in his letters or letters written to him 
to let us know. No pleas or secret behind dealings between him and Paul or whatever. So we can't really convey anything resolutely in that respect. However, through his writing, we do know one thing very clearly. The Greeks had a significant influence on him and his writing. This constant dualistic vision of humanity with light and darkness, then truth and falsity. It's cosmological speculation about truth and light and its appeal to the figure of the word have antecedents in the Greek philosophical and religious thought. We can also see that Gnostic and Palestinian Judaist influences are significant as well. It was very eloquent, always has been, in any language that has been written in. The Most Beloved saw his friend, though, Jesus, handed over to authorities by Judas. But is there more than that? Was Jesus betrayed? Was there something else that we're missing? Judas Iscariot, or Yehuda Iquiriot, or as is Aramaic, Aramaic translated, Judah, the man of Kerioth, was chosen to be one of the sacred twelve that would take the teachings of Jesus and spread them throughout the world. According to all four of the Gospels in the Bible, he gave Jesus over the Sanhedrin. Mark gives no cause, but Luke and John claim that the adversary possessed him. And then finally, Matthew says he was bought off for 30 pieces of silver. So, Given that, given that there's no sign, and I have something else about the words that they were using too, but given that, I have a brutal take. Greek is a complicated language. And we have a thing for stripping away the nuanced meanings from the original texts. And the Greek word in the texts is perididomi, which doesn't, which is a word full of emotion, but it's not negative. And we've endured in the text from our over-theologizing and villainizations of the events in Gethsemane to give it this negative feeling that just doesn't exist in the word. So I am forced to carry on a thought. And it's a thought that has no documentation to support it. This is a theory that is my heartfelt theory. This is my heresy. Judas, being the guy to call Jesus on his crap, as he did with the pound of nard, as he did with rebuking, calls out Jesus for rebuking the sinner face to face in the temple, but refusing to do so when criticizing the temple hierarchy. Jesus might have pointed out that he never really had a chance to yet, whereby a plan was hatched. Besides, each one made their own plans for their terms and hopes. And the innocent and gentle handover, which is what Perdidomi stands for. It's not a, a violent or betrayal. It is more like I've handed you your keys, or I handed you an award, or we commend our spirits to God. That's more the 
feeling of paradidomai. Paradidomai. I think it's paradidomai. Now that I'm saying it more, it feels more... Anyway, beside the point, the fact is I'm staring at a language that I can barely, like, read, but I know what the word is. It's... It's something that's not sinister until we make it sinister. And after all, Judas seeing his Christ taken away like that killed himself, which I submit is not a sign of a greedy thief, but rather a sign of the innocent nature in which he did Peredidomai. I needed to pause because that's that's where more speculation comes in now that I'm thinking about it. See, John had to be a hurt man. One of the inner circle gave Jesus to what would end up being the end of Jesus. What a broken heart. Did John know what happened to cause Judas to come to the task which he took himself? I'm going to have to say no because he says he was possessed by the adversary. There's such a deep chasm between these two people, these brothers. And all the people who wrote the Gospels. Mark wasn't there. He was busy getting born. Matthew wasn't as close. And neither was Luke. Both of them were not the inner circle. But Judas, Peter, James, not his brother, and John, they were the super close. Peter, James, and John, they were from the beginning. James and John's were the sons of Zebedee. They were the partners in fishing of Peter, John being the youngest of them all. Maybe no more than 13, 14 years old. Just barely coming to his, quote, apprenticeship time. <laughs> they were there from the beginning. And Judas, I suspect, must have been joined soon after. Because Judas was given in charge of the group funds. It makes me think he was a person of the city, by the city. And they were like, well, where's, we're country bumpkins. And uh, why, why don't you help us find our rooms? You, you know how this shit works. That's trust. And that's what they gave Judas for so long, for three years. So, one, that trust was betrayed, but it wasn't by Judas. It was the Sanhedrin who took that trust and betrayed. When the Sanhedrin took Jesus, not to confront or rebuke the powers that be, but to die. John probably felt he needed someone to blame. Someone who didn't think enough. Maybe he felt that was Judas. The guy who had helped them find room and lodging on their journeys. The guy who knew how to pinch a penny so they gave him the purse strings. That person received 30 silver coins. So, there's my heresy. 
See, when I was 16 years old, I had concluded that if all the disciples and apostles were miscreants and losers, and if the Holy Family couldn't be supportive and defend Jesus, if even his own hometown tried to throw him off a cliff, how come we could give everybody grace but Judas? Furthermore, if we've been given all the other degenerates grace, what's one more? After all, if it was for greed, it was greed for the poor. If he'd been possessed by the adversary or a dark spirit and that made him do it, can we really blame Judas? And finally, if he just thought that they were going to give him a chance to rebuke them harmlessly and let him continue on his Seder, can we really villainize Judas? And why do we need a villain? If we have given all the other apostles, disciples, members of the family, and more grace, why why can't we bring Judas in out of the cold? So I told a newly ordained deacon from my church, my father, these thoughts of mine. Promptly and aggressively he called me a heretic because I had the thoughts of a heretic. It hurt. It hurt so much I stopped going to the church that I love, that I now worship and care for. For a year, I became obsessed with finding anything I could about Judas or anyone who, you know, made church uncomfortable because those were my people, right? Yeah, well, Judas, maybe you have something more to you that I couldn't find. I wish we could see it, but I'll give you my grace. I'll ignore the hurt man's description of you and remember that Jesus taught you to love above all things. I'll ignore the prejudice of an angry man and confirm that you guys got it. The lessons and the parables Jesus taught you. After all, you were a man of love, grace, and horrible circumstances. Yet, you challenged Jesus and questioned him. You helped him. You ate with him. And with what he was doing and why it conflicted with the mission that you heard so much about, he answered you and you never left his side. It makes me wonder what Jesus would do. What would Jesus say to the man that condemned, that commended him into the hands of his betrayers? To the man that fell on his own sword in grief? Or who hung himself in grief? We're, we're not even sure how he died. Who didn't get the chance to see that what he had begun had brought about Easter. We have had grace for 11 others. Can we find grace for one more that has been out in that cold for 2,000 years? Maybe that's what it comes to. Maybe that's the secret occult lesson we can bear from this reading that I haven't read. Because time and time again, we find grace 
as God finds us. But can we do it one more time? We are so hardened to never give grace to others, holding on to grudges, letting it stain our perspective. And yet here in here in this lesson that we have today, Judas is is so enraptured with his mission to feed the poor. He asks why that expensive ointment, that that pound of nard wasn't sold so they could give the money to the poor. Well, there'll be poor always. Yeah, so... In this, at least, we can see that the disciples and apostles, and even Jesus, is human. As flawed as we are, even Jesus. We know something went awry. Whether he was the great betrayer, or whether his trust was betrayed too by the Sanhedrin. He could have the grace we found for him in abandoning Jesus. John could at least. We could have forgiven him for not understanding the parables and what they meant. He was just as guilty as the others for denying Christ and for abandoning him at the cross. He doesn't know what happened in Gethsemane. He doesn't see his friend's suicide as an innocent man dying, but as a coward traitor's final act to avoid accountability. And so he lashes out in his gospel at the man who can't be hurt. You know, we've all been hurt. And bearing that pain and having to find grace is an arduous task for the strongest of us. But that's the point. That's something we can all understand. We can all understand that we are going to lose Jesus soon. And Mary is there, the only one knowing, practicing for the day that Jesus goes to Jerusalem, that city that kills its prophets to die. Yes, Judas plays a part in it, but we weren't there, neither was John. The only one who could portray any honesty to this story was so overrun with emotion and sadness at losing his best friend that he ended his life. We can forgive them both. We can find our love and grace as an offering to God who loves us and is gracious to us in all things and bring the poor human fool's grace. Because... Don't you think that is what Jesus would honestly do for two of his best friends? Do you have it in you? So I guess without any further ado, here's the gospel according to John. Chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. 
Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why is this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what he was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. That ends the reading. And there you have it. We're done for Lent 5. Um, thank you for listening. This one was kind of tough for me. I uh, had to open up a little bit more. But I'm glad you're here. If this is the first time you've listened to my podcast, welcome. If this isn't, welcome back. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've subscribed. And I hope all the new people decide to describe, uh, subscribe too. Um... I really enjoy doing this, and I hope you enjoy listening to me. So take care of each other. Until next time we talk. Uh, Very glad that we have this chance with each other. Anyway, have a beautiful time, and I'll catch you next week, which is Palm Sunday. Very exciting. Toodles. Toodles.